What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Tip of the Cap podcast. I am here today with somebody I'm actually very, very excited to talk to. Uh, I am here with assistant coach for Crowder College, uh, assistant coach of the Rough Riders out there. Jason, it's Amenkus. Imicus. Imicus. All right, Jason Imicus. I'm sorry, I probably should have covered that earlier. Um, Jason, thanks for joining me. Uh, Why don't you... Tell us about yourself and, you know, kind of where you're where you're at, where you're from, and go from there. Eric, I appreciate you having me on, uh, first off. But, yeah, I'm Jason Imicus. Uh, live in Joplin, Missouri, uh, assistant coach at Crowder College, uh, junior college, Division One junior college located in Neosho. It's about 20 miles south of Joplin, uh, kind of on the Arkansas-Missouri border. Uh, starting my second year there. Uh, my second, uh, second time at the junior college, actually, I was there uh, – as a young assistant uh, in the early 2000s and uh, had the opportunity to go back and jumped at it, excited to be back and, and uh, in, involved in junior college baseball. Cool. Now, uh, I was looking through your bio. We were talking a little bit last night. Uh, looking through your bio, you've actually had a fairly extensive run through the ranks of baseball. Um, why, don't you, why don't you take us through that, starting like where, you know, where you grew up playing high school, college ball, stuff like that, and kind of take us through your journey through the game. Yeah, sure. I grew up in uh, Carthage, Missouri, which is actually about 15 minutes from Joplin, southwest Missouri. Uh, attended Independence Community College of uh, two years there, and then uh, two years at the University of Washburn in Topeka, Kansas, uh, MIAA member. And then as I was uh, got done there, kind of a unique story. I was in junior college, and I was a pretty run-of-the-mill pitcher uh, had the opportunity to play a little bit on a team that wasn't great so uh, got some innings in got a little stronger and and I actually threw a knuckleball as an off-speed pitch and and uh, was throwing one time in the bullpen and a scout came by and said hey I actually uh, played in the big leagues uh, with a knuckleballer and that's a pretty good pitch and if you want a chance to play pro ball you probably probably ought to stick with that as opposed to throwing you know, your 82, 84 is not going to bother you good enough. So uh, started concentrating on that a little bit more. Went home that summer. I uh, had a Little League coach that had thrown knuckleballs to me, and I asked him, you know, keep in mind this was really before the Internet was big, so was trying to gather as much info as I could on it and, and basically set up and got a bucket of baseballs and threw uh, balls into the fence, trying to take a spin off of it as much as I could and, and then signed professionally uh, in the Independent Frontier League. Uh, Played in Richmond, Indiana, and Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, kind of battled injuries the whole time and, and never got a full season in. But but definitely a neat ride that opened up a lot of doors. Uh, started coaching at Crowder uh, and Mickey Owen Baseball School uh, in the summers and then Crowder during, during the school year uh, about that time. And ended up coaching at Jefferson College after that, Missouri Southern, Pittsburgh State, and now back at Crowder. So... Uh, been a pretty unusual ride. Worked for the Major League Baseball Scouting Bureau uh, briefly. Uh, was a good experience, just something that I found as I got into it. Uh, wasn't as interested in that side of the game as I thought. I, I, I value the relationships, and I think where I bring value to the game is is uh, the relationship side of it and, and watching players and helping players develop. Awesome. Um, so, <laughs> as a knuckleballer, the... Uh... It's, it's got to be a little bit different road. You ever run into issues of, you know, 
you struggle a little bit because the guy behind the plate struggled catching it, or it was is that you know are are those guys at that level good enough that they can handle it? Like what's you know tell, tell yeah, me about that was, a little bit. It was probably the toughest thing at the time was uh, I got to visit on the phone a couple times with Tom Candiotti. Uh, Mitch Webster was the scout that that had talked to me about it initially uh, way back in junior college, and I kind of kept trying to develop, 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 and then. He put me in touch with Tom Candiotti, uh, who pitched in the big leagues as a knuckleballer for years, and was fortunate enough to get some tips from there. But again, you're just starting to talk about things getting out on the internet at that time, and, and just there were few and far between. So, you know, good outing, it was kind of a slap on the butt. Good job, we'll see you at your next start. Uh, bad outing, kind of the same thing. Nobody really knew how to coach it, um, and I was trying to gather as much info you know, as I could about it myself. And, and so that was probably the toughest part was you're so unique that, that nobody was really able to help a whole lot. Uh, we did some video stuff that I was able to pick some things up on. And, and, you know, that kind of led me to the path of, of, uh, really wanting to have the ability and and help players get better because I felt like, um, kind of on an Island a little bit. And I was surrounded by great coaches, but they just didn't have the knowledge, so I kind of started then young in my coaching career trying to make it a point to, to make sure to keep guys healthy uh, and, and be able to help, you know, different arm slots, different deliveries and all types of things and, and never have that kid where I just don't really know what to say or how to assist in. So that's kind of where the, the drive for coaching really started with me. Um, so, you know, it was a unique path. It was something that wouldn't have happened had, had Mitch Webster, the scout, you know, mentioned that uh obviously i'm glad he did it it opened up several doors and and led to kind of my overall philosophy in coaching is you know try to help every guy you can and and don't ever get caught with a situation where you're not sure how to handle it because you've never experienced something like that so i research a lot on my own and and obviously uh i'm surrounded by a lot of great baseball people and pick a lot of brains kind of that constant learner uh mentality of of you know we're never going to know everything but you know, at least if we know where to go for help, we can we can find that help to assist with something we might not have an answer to yet. Absolutely. Now you've mentioned a couple times. You know, back back then the uh, the internet wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is today, and uh, you know we kind of talked on that a touch uh, in the couple minutes we talked before we started recording here. You know, having having grown up through the era of you know not having the internet at your fingertips like the kids today do. You know, kind of, kind of take me through like how you've seen the game change through that. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, nowadays you can literally look up on, you know, Twitter, YouTube, uh, you know, any social media format. Really, you know, how do I do this and find nine different videos and they all kind of show it a little differently or, you know, different tricks, different ideas, and you know, the the long running joke is you know baseball Twitter or hitting Twitter, um, you know, and all the weird wild things you see on there. To, you know, to kind of take me through how how you've seen the game change in that in that realm. Well, I think uh, the game, you know, obviously mirrors society, which is one of the great things about it. And I think people in general, uh, kids in general, when I say kids, uh, teenager, you know, recruitable kids, high school kids, have a lot more knowledge and access to knowledge. And, and not all of that's good. And I think the toughest thing uh, that I don't envy parents, and I have a stepson myself that's a high school player, and we have discussions about it, is. You know, how do you decipher what, what, what's good and what's bad? Because, you know, it, it's good to, to hear it from many different vantage points. But at the same time, uh, because it works for so-and-so doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Your body might not move the same. You're, you know, your 
your physical makeup might be tremendously different than somebody that's demonstrating something and having a lot of success a certain way, and it might not translate to how you how you move. So that's that's a tough thing, uh, you know, for parents to decipher. But I do think overall, I think you know, kids today with that information tend to challenge coaches more if you want to word it like that. And and I actually enjoy that because I think it's good to get that discussion started. Uh, what works, what doesn't work, and and I would say probably the biggest difference that I've seen even you know, in my 16, 17 years coaching, however long it's been, is, you know, back in the day, uh, you'd ask a kid to do something, and it was immediately they bought in, they did it because you were the coach, whereas now they have access to a lot of information, and they have the ability to question things. And, and I think that's where the whole old school, new school battle starts, uh, you know, with, with, you know, you should say it because I'm the coach and I said do it this way. But I actually enjoy that, like I said, because it gets the discussion started of, of you know, moving in that development direction. And, and this is why this is good. And this is why this is bad. So uh, I, I think uh, inquiring minds want to know. And I think it's our job as coaches to, you know, be able to help decipher, you know, some of that information and, and interpret that in a way to a kid that he can understand. Because, you know, the other thing, too, you get caught up on Twitter and social media a lot is they're using phrases and verbiage that, quite frankly, kids can misinterpret or don't understand at all. Or, or choose a way they want to understand it, and it's not the way that it was intended. So, um, you know, I think it's our job as coaches to kind of be that conduit of, of this is how it's relatable to you. And, and, yeah, see why this is good for him, but watch your movement, and we can video and say, hey, watch this, and you're not able to move this way, so this is probably not the best option for you right now. So when, when kids start hearing that, I think it opens the door to the development, and, and you have to have a – mindset of i'm not intimidated by all the information out there you know i can i can help decipher what's going to work for you and what's not i uh i think that's very well said and you know and i know and you know there's a lot of talk in sports that uh twitter especially can be kind of a dual-edged sword it can be your greatest tool or your biggest downfall um you know have have you ever have you experienced a thing where you know uh an instance where a kid or a coach has put something out there that maybe big time backfired. Like, is that something you've personally experienced? Is you know, have you seen a thing where you know you've had a kid come to you and say, you know, again, kid being a loose term here, I guess, you know, oh, I saw this and I wanted to try it, and you know, now you're battling something you you know isn't going to work for him, or that just isn't great information. Maybe have, have you experienced that at all? Is there? You know, is there well, I, not to I, not to throw names or anything, or you know, just is there? No, has no, there been absolutely an not. I think it's kind of a general theme in coaching today, and I think that's where the hot debate lies. Is is in the the again going back to the old school versus new school? Is it you know, is a coach gonna just kind of shut that kid down and say absolutely not? I'm more of the mindset of hey man, yeah, let's try it. Let's get some video. Let's put it on the rap soto, and 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 you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But if, if I go in and absolutely just shut a kid down and say absolutely not, you're kind of, you know, putting a damper on that relationship and, and that kid's ability to really open up to you down the road. So I think you're better off probably just going ahead and, and yeah, let's try it out and, and we'll look at it. And, and then we can see, you know, why it doesn't work. I can sit there and tell you, but, you know, being, being a Missourian, uh, the show me state that it is, I'm like, hey, let's. Let's do it, man, and, and we can talk about it afterward. And, and, and nine times out of ten, the kid's like, yeah, you know, I really don't like that. So what that does is by not shutting him down, it opens that 
you know, continues to open that relationship up, but it also, you know, puts him in a situation where he has some ownership over the situation as opposed to just, you're going to do it like this because I said, because I think that closed mindsets where, you know, we emphasize the players having an open mindset, a growth mindset, is such an overused term, but are, are we doing that as coaches by shutting somebody down, just simply saying, no, that's not going to work for you. No, you know, you got to, you got to let them try it out, you know, in the right environment, the right situation and, and make it a positive, you know, out of what could be a very negative, make it a tremendous positive as far as the relationship goes and as far as the development of the actual player goes. I like that viewpoint a lot. I, uh, I, I think we see a lot of coaches nowadays, you know, the guys that do struggle a little bit are the guys that don't want to hear another side of the story. And I'm, I'm a big proponent as a coach of, you know, if I'm going to tell you to do something or, you know, expect you to act a certain way, I, I'm going to walk that line too, because the, the do as I say, not as I do days, I think are done um, in sports across across the board. You know how how can I expect certain things from you that I don't expect from myself? And absolutely, you know, especially when it comes to you know, I think that's one of the first times I've heard it put to the growth mindset uh, philosophy of you know I want you to learn and grow, but I'm not willing to learn and grow. So how do, how do I preach that without you know being willing to be open myself? I like that a lot. Right. Kids can see that transparency, and and you know I've, I've had situations where I've had young pitchers come in, and we'll talk about something, and, and they'll be like, "This is how I do it," and I'm like, "Hey, man, that's great." And guess what? Two years later, there's a similar body type, similar arm path, whatever, and maybe maybe I use a, a phrase that he keys on to to execute a pitch that I didn't know before that kid. So, you know, if you really have an open mind, you can learn from the kids uh, what works and what doesn't work with different types of kids. And, and that includes kids from different backgrounds and the way they talk and all those things. So if we really, you know, as our job as a coach is to mentor and get the best out of these kids as not only people, but as athletes, I think it's our job to have an open mind when communicating with them. And, and that, that only leads to success down the road, you know, on and off the field. Absolutely. Now, in your uh, in the last uh, in, in that conversation, you brought up the uh, the magic R word for which is you know Rapsodo being kind of the uh, the benchmark for pitching technology from what I from what I understand at least um, you know and I've I myself have been looking into different types of uh, technology. Obviously, you know being a being a high school in the Northeast, we're a little bit limited as far as funds and what we can afford and stuff like that, but. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit of pitching technology. Now, you said you've done some, um, you know, some public, like some speaking events and things like that on that, you know. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's kind of a, you know, I just turned 44 this fall, so uh, I'm the oldest fifth grader in the world, as my wife likes to put it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that, you know, it, it, it's something fresh. It's something new. Uh, you know, it's been out for a little bit. Um, I actually invested in it myself. We use it at the school. Uh, I've taken it out. I've used it in lessons, uh, different situations, but I've got uh, very comfortable using it um, and, and kind of being that conduit of information between player and what the what the data represents. And, and I, again, going back to kind of that, you know, I, I think probably the best quote I've heard uh, is, you know, data makes a, a great servant, but not a master. Um, and, and that obviously means that it's a tool. It's not the end all. If I have a great rap soda report, it doesn't mean I'm a great pitcher. If I have a bad day on the rap soda or a bad bullpen, it's not the end of the world. It's how can we 
apply these specific numbers and things to help create uh, not only better pitches and a more consistent delivery that's going to enhance our safety and, and also enhance our stuff, but you can also start talking about pitch tunneling, why things work, uh, why things don't necessarily work. Um, and again, we talk about, you know, the youth of today in the technology. I think, again, you know, initially my thought was, well, this can be a great tool because kids love information. And this is something that, that's far beyond what most of these kids have had the chance to, to you know, throw on the Rap Soto. A lot of our kids, it was the first time. We've had a few few guys that have thrown on it that are from, uh, you know, Kansas City, St. Louis area. There's some bigger facilities up there to have them. But, but we're the first, I'm the first one to have one in our area. So I was able to expose a lot of our guys to it for the first time. And it was really, it starts creating where, whereas a lot of times you get in the bullpen and everybody's sitting around watching and everybody's looking for radar gun. It puts uh, emphasis on other things other than just velocity. So if, if I'm a guy that has pitchability but doesn't throw, you know, 94, 96, how am I going to get my outs? It, it, it allows you to understand what you do well and, and kind of advance some of those things to a higher level and, and also understands where we may have some deficiency in the actual pitch design process, whether it be a grip or an arm angle that changes too much, uh, you know, those things. So it really – it gives some solid foundation of, of why things are working and why they're not. And it has zero to do with my opinion. So if, you know, I, I, it creates instant buy-in. So somebody might come to campus or come to a camp or whatever and not know who I am from, from anyone. Uh, and I make a suggestion, they're going to look at me like, well, this guy's seen me throw one time or two times. Why is he all of a sudden offering advice to me? Well, now this is subjective information. This, this just, this is a fact It has, my opinion doesn't, mean anything so that buy-in becomes instant and and when you can start creating buy-in and and understanding that we're here to help i I think it only expedites the you know the player development process itself so um it it, we've really been able to do some creative things um you know in the old school again versus new school the hot topic right now is you know i don't need a rap soda to show me that this guy's curveball is good well you know you don't but maybe Maybe if that kid's not running right on a particular day, you can identify why he's not running right and show the kid, which, which you know, is going to make him more successful, whether it be on your team or his travel team or whatever the case may be. So it's a tool that, and, and let's make no mistake, I'm not tech savvy. If, if the dog steps on my direct TV remote and screws it up, I've got to call my stepson to figure out how to re, you know, get it back on the 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 way that I can change channels and, and all that. I'm pretty simple-minded as far as some of that stuff goes. But uh, with the Rapsodo, you know, the ease of operation of that, um, and, and again, going back to the information, the folks at Rapsodo, Aaron Schneerbush, the salesman that sold it to me, has been tremendous in, in supporting uh, any questions I have, you know, day or night. I've been able to shoot him a text or whatever, and and, and if I do have any questions. So it's, it's, it's been a really a neat thing. It, it's kind of... Uh, I won't say reinvigorated that, you know, my, you know, my process needed that, but it's been something fun to kind of dive into and, and being again, surrounded by some great pitching guys where I'm at uh, has allowed me to focus a little bit more on that side. So I've been able to take this opportunity the last year and a half or so and really kind of delve into what the numbers mean and, and make comparisons. And it also allows us to help in projection. So, you know, there's a, a Bauer unit that, that you configure uh, what you do is you take the total spin and divide that by the velocity and it gives you a number somewhere in the mid twenties. 
um, and you can kind of make some comps on on big league guys and maybe start talking sequencing with some of our kids on uh, based off of what some guys in the big leagues and what that does basically it, it kind of gives you a poor man's version of a big leaguer basically so if I'm able to spin the ball at this rate you know my rate of percentage of spin is comparable to what this big leaguer is so it, it maybe shows you you know how to better use your pitches in certain situations and to get your outs awesome that's you know and I, I think that's something that uh you know the the creative application of it is something I think that gets lost a lot because you see you know especially on the hitting side of it you see like the you know oh well my exit velo is x and this player's is y i'm only so far off you know but you know we all know that that's not the only tell and you know i think the practical application of it and finding creative ways to say like hey this is this is what so-and-so does you're comparable to that and you know, maybe we can use this in this area, this in this way is, I think it's something that gets overlooked a lot in, in regards of just, well, I have a number to put to quantify my ability. Absolutely. I think the projection part of it is as big as, as the actual numbers. And, and you can also, you know, one of the unique things that it does is, is once, so the Rapsodo has its own Wi-Fi. So you have your iPad and you're there and you see, I mean, you've seen on Twitter and, and, you know, other social media, like you see the guy with the iPad, he's standing there by the pitcher and the pitcher tells him what he's throwing and he hits a little button, says this one's going to be a fastball. And he throws the pitch and it spits out a bunch of numbers and you kind of go through that. Well, as soon as you get off the Rapsodo Wi-Fi and get back to rather be your office or home or wherever, um, it produces a report that is emailed to the player immediately. So the player has the ability to kind of go through and look at it himself and then come back with any questions. And then typically how we do it is, in the next day or so we get together and kind of talk about a plan of of what might work and what's good and what's bad and and it's amazing because you know you always have that player that says oh i throw a curveball and a slider for example and and um you know you put it on the rap soto and you can tell a kid all you want you know hey that's pretty much the same pitch i think this one's going to work better for you based off of how your fastball moves but until he sees it himself um you know, it's probably a little tougher sell initially, um, but when you can show them the trajectory and the ball flight, uh, release angle and, and release height and all this, I mean, the kid obviously is like, okay, I, I see what you're saying now. So um, we talk about the buy and, and expediting the player process and the development process. It it really that's the that's that's one of the tools, and you know, like we talked about the projection of it as well. Um, it's it's more of a twofold situation than I thought it was initially going to be because, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing is I think it's important to be able to be that, you know, conduit, like I mentioned earlier and explaining what those numbers mean, because, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for guys to call me that have Rapsodo reports and say, Hey, I threw on the Rapsodo and I was wondering if you could help me interpret what this means. So uh, I've done lessons in the area for several years and have some kids in college and pro ball and, and they'll get their numbers and, and nobody really explains it to them or explains it to them briefly. And then they have questions. So it's, it's nice because it's also helped me learn as I go how to relay that information to, to different kids, uh, players, if you will. And um, it, it's a really, it's, it's a neat process. It, it's, it's kind of the cutting edge of where baseball's at. You know, they, they've done updates since I've owned it, uh, you know, the Rapsodo, and, and it's become even more valuable. So. It, it's a lot of fun. It's more than just a video game. I don't think it's anything to be intimidated by. 
Um, it, it can be intimidating at first. Uh, kind of a funny story about it was I had studied and researched it enough, and, and I called Aaron and told him I was uh, interested in buying one, and, and we talked about it, and their business is actually in St. Louis, which is about four hours from me. And I said, hey, the only thing, I understand everything that it represents. I understand how to interpret the information. I understand all that. I was worried about physically taking it out of the box and setting it up and being able to actually use it, um, you know, to get it to the point where it could produce information for us. So he kind of laughed and he's like, yeah, man, you want to run up here? We can do it. So I drove to St. Louis one morning and uh, it took about 10 minutes to get through that process and to be comfortable with it and, and set it up. It's super simple application and, and uh, just it's, it's been a lot of fun to, to, to you know, to use. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's interesting because I, I, I can tell you I've been sitting here for probably the last week or so looking into different ways of implementing technology into my game planning for, you know, this upcoming season. And I, you know, there, there's so much info out there. And one of the things like I'm, I've, I've actually looked like, am, am I going to even know what to do with this info? Like once I have it, like, one, well, you know, once I have something set up. So I, I think it's funny that you talk about the intimidation factor because, there, there definitely is, you know, uh, an intimidation factor there, especially if you, if you've only like for me, I've seen uh, Rapsodo being used. At I went to the ABCA conference this past year, and that booth was one hundred percent of the time just mobbed with people. So you only got glimpses of things unless you wanted to stand there for 45, 50, an hour and a half, two hours, and then you're missing other great speakers and stuff like that. And I can like I I know that I personally right now can't afford a Rapsodo, but I'm looking into uh, other things like you know I know there's Pitch Logic, Diamond Kinetics, and other stuff out there too. Which I was going to ask if you had any experience with any of those things, but you know I think it's funny that you mentioned the intimidation factor of looking at this new technology and you know new and different is always a little scary, but I'm it's also a little exciting to think like this could be something that can help us you know our program step up step up its game. Absolutely. Uh, I don't have any experience with the other stuff. I've, I've read about it and have talked to guys that have used it and they're, you know, they, they like the information that it provides. Everything kind of provides uh, some of the core, uh, you know, essentials and spin rate, such the big thing and, and spin efficiency and, and all those things. Um, so I think anytime you can, can get more information, I think that's a good thing. But I think the one thing that I have found is and I've even ran across this on Twitter and had to bite my tongue, but people are using, again, we talked about the kids not understanding how to interpret and decipher what's good and what's bad. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that are trying to use it that don't fully understand its value and, and what it represents and, and kind of kind of twist it to what they want it to be maybe. Um, when really, you know, the data, the, the beauty of it is it's hard facts and, and it's, it's important to be able to relay that information. I think that's where the real gap is right now. And I think it's easy for some of the, you know, like I said earlier, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 44. So I was kind of raised by that old guard, old school mentality of run through the brick wall for, you know, Mr. Coach, because he says so. Um, but I also am around, you know, today's players uh, at the college level and at the pro level. And, and so I have, a great grasp on what they want and how they want to learn and the different learning styles that each person may may possess so that being said i felt my responsibility to be able to be that conduit and and i think that's where the problem is is the old school guys are able to say 
well, that information, I don't need a machine to tell me how to do that. But they don't fully understand how to interpret the information, whereas there's that new school that does understand how to interpret the information, but maybe don't have the the field uh, experience that some of these other guys do. So I think there's that great, that's that's the core of the great debate of the old school versus new school is how can some kid that, you know, has coached two years but knows how to run a computer tell me how to do my job better. And I don't see it that way at all. I think it's, it's I think the information's great, but I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in that age bracket that I possess some experience, but I also possess the ability to use the technology. So it's kind of a fun, fun way because I have friends on both sides of the debate and, and I, I'm in my car a lot driving and I've had some great talk, talks, you know, pro and con, old school and new school. Um, but, but ultimately it comes down to that growth mindset and being willing to accept new things. And, and, and ultimately, if, if we're in the business of trying to get a player better, it's our responsibility to do whatever that takes um, and, and understand how they need to learn. And, and today's kids are much smarter than we were. Even, you know, I was a college player in the mid to late 90s and, and professional player in the early 2000s. And, and guys learn differently. Uh, there's different information and there's more to deal with as a coach. So it's probably a little bit more, uh, takes a little bit more in front of the computer and reading and gathering information than just going to the field and, and kind of test running everything. But I think that combination of being able to do both is 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 where uh, a coach can really create value for himself. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting thing. I, I I I learned a lot of what I know, obviously, from very very old school people, and you know, it's it's funny because you're you're echoing a lot of the same things. I know that you know the one guy that I learned probably the most from uh, from this area wouldn't know you know, wouldn't know how to use, like, a hit tracks or a swing track or anything like that. But at the same time, back in the, you know, early to mid-90s when I first started taking lessons from him, he was a guy that would videotape you, and he put out a DVD back in, like, 2000 or something like that. And, you know, he was one of the first people to do it, and everyone was like, oh, he's he's putting out instruction, an instructional DVD. He, you know, it, it's a money grab, it's a money grab, and, like, well, no, it's it's a way to like refresh yourself on the things that you've learned from them and stuff, and you know, like I said, that that guy nowadays probably wouldn't know what to do with an iPad if you handed him one. You know, I when I, when I used to work with him, I used to have to send emails for him because he didn't quite understand that side of it. But you know, nowadays you have you know though some some of those type of guys. I'm not saying he's that type of guy, but you have a guy from that era that's out there going, you know, how does for lack of a better term, how does some nerd who's never played know more about this game than I do because, you know, because he knows how to work a camera and an iPad kind of thing. And it's, it's an interesting debate. And I know, I know what you're talking about. I see it on on social media all the time and it, it makes me laugh because, you know, there's definitely benefits of both sides. You know, we uh, actually just had a conversation with another coach not too long ago about, you know, you got two kids who statistically are very, very similar, but, you know, one kid got, twice as many chances in the field last year and I, you know, and at the plate and he, he, he couldn't put into words why. And I said, because he passes the eye test, you know, you look at that kid and you say, he's got a better shot than player B. And if I need, if one of those two kids is going to be at the plate, it's going to be this one in a, in a pinch because he passes the eye test on paper. They're the same, but he passes the eye test. And I think some of that is lost in the new world, but it's not the end all be all like the old world. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a, 
a tremendous amount of respect that, that is deserved by coaches that, that have put their time in. Um, it just so happens that we're in the age now where, where things have changed. And, you know, you want to talk about the advent of Moneyball back in the day. Now, let's not be lost on the fact that they had three really good arms, Cy Young award-winning arms. Um, but, but, you know, the movie brought popularity to the fact that baseball had changed and started valuing uh, statistics in a different way, and other than just batting average and, and you know, ERA and those things. Um, and that kind of opened the door. Uh, for a lot of things, and there's been a lot of clubs that do a good job of blending, uh, you know, the sabermetrics and also kind of the eye test. Um, you know, there's a couple of scenes in, in that movie where they're talking about, hey, look at this guy, and, you know, he has confidence, but he doesn't, but their numbers are the same, and this is why. And, and so there's, there's, there's a mental side, there's, a, there's a, a, a mental side, there's a physical side to the game, obviously. Uh, that can not be seen in statistics, but maybe maybe two guys that are doing the same thing statistically, one of them's tremendously underachieving, and one guy's having a career year. So I think that's you know what as a coach you have to also kind of figure out what what guy has a higher ceiling, and it depends on what level you're at as well. Um, but there's some other things than just raw numbers. I think the, the numbers again, going back to what I said earlier, I think it's it's a tool in the tool belt of development. I don't think it's the end all be all. But it, it definitely is a, a strong way to, to get that conversation started about how we, how are we going to get better and how do we get our outs through the course of uh, you know five or six innings as opposed to just going out and hoping it works out for us. It gives you a little bit of game planning, which which can in turn uh, become confidence in a pitcher's mind that hey, I've got a really good game plan and, and this is how I'm going to operate, and, and kind of takes him to a different place in his mind where he feels more prepared, and, and obviously that guy's going to probably be more successful than the guy that is just out there kind of willy-nilly, you know, throwing in, hoping it works out. Right on. Um, now, it, with with the technology, is there are there certain figures that you use more than others? Are there ones that you value higher than others? You know, is there, is like, when you, when you look at a Rapsodo report, what are the things that you're really trying to key on first to, to tell you, you know, where you need to work with this guy? I think first thing we look at is uh, release height, uh, you know, and, and, and horizontal release, which basically is what that is, is, is basically is he changing his arm slot pitch to pitch. Um, and, and you'll see that a lot with, with younger guys. Uh, typically by the time they get to college, they've got some of that stuff figured out. And I'm talking about the kid that drops his arm on a breaking ball. And, and you know, in our area, we'll, we're kind of, you know, we'll, we're a little bit of a rural area. Um, we'll have a guy that maybe is striking a bunch of guys out with a breaking ball uh, in the high school level. And so we'll go watch or, you know, whatever. And, and that breaking ball is really loopy. So it's coming up out of his hand. So that pitch probably doesn't play, doesn't tunnel as well at a higher level because guys are going to spit on it when they see that, you know, the ball come up out of the hand, it looks different than the fastball. So that's something that we're able to identify first and foremost. That's one of the things I look at it, guys. Um, on the Rapsodo, you know, gives us that information. And then the next thing is, is the ability to go pitch to pitch. So, um, you'll see a guy that throws a bunch of fastballs in a row and his inefficiency is really high and the ball has good horizontal break and, and it's reading like a good fastball should with good spin and good, you know, action. 
and then maybe he throws a couple breaking balls in a row and then comes back to the fastball, and all of a sudden that fastball doesn't play like it did uh, earlier in the bullpen session. Well, that's just telling you the kid's not getting back behind the ball or on top of the ball, however you want to word it to the kid. But you can you can see those scenarios play out, and then all of a sudden, you know, when a kid gets to the point where he's got to really locate a fastball, maybe that pitch doesn't play because he's throwing two breaking balls in a row. So you can start talking about that and really making sure a kid has a feel for what he's doing with his hand uh, on his grip and, and through his release uh, and give him some verbal cues to help him with that. And, and that's a pretty quick fix. Um, and, and kids start seeing, uh, you know, the results of this beneficency um, in the ball flight itself. So that's something that, that kids really like to see really quick because we, we've had a lot of kids go back and, and uh, you know, why, why my fastball after I throw a breaking ball or whatever, and not necessarily because they're in a fastball count and they're throwing a fastball and the hitter has the ability to sit on it, but why is my fastball command, why am I losing that after throwing some off-speed pitches? So ultimately pitching is the ability to go, you know, through your repertoire pitch to pitch and, and hopefully locate it as best we can. Um, that's something that Rapsodo can identify and, and you can – know relate that to the kids so i think that's probably two of the first biggest things that we're able to to do with it so and on now on the other side of that is there is there anything on there that you don't necessarily concern yourself with is you know something that maybe not maybe isn't you know if if everything else looks good that's the thing i get to last is is there something like that uh not necessarily because again you know, you start getting into very specifics with kids. There's certain things that I don't value as much on certain kids. It kind of depends on the player and what they're really trying to, what their end all goal is. If it's working on a breaking ball or creating, a, you know, a tunneling effect pitch to pitch, or is it, you know, how does my cutter play off? Am I better throwing a slider or a cutter? How do those play off of each other? Um, you know, there's a zone to displacement chart on there that I find really valuable that, you know, our, our two pitches lining up so similarly that if I was to go pitch to pitch back to back with those two pitches, is it really not enough of a difference timing wise to affect the outcome of the at bat? And, and when you start talking about stuff like that, kids really perk up and, and understand the meaning of it. But as far as not really valuing anything, I can't say that there is or I haven't ran across anything yet because certain things become more specific and uh, in, in specific of importance to that particular pitcher so um there, there's things you know maybe velocity on a kid that he's got really good velocity but we're trying to figure out you know does he need to throw a breaking ball with more horizontal break or more vertical break based off how his fastball plays um the velocity side of it's not something that we're so wrapped up in as as you know sometimes you have the kid that you know and i've had kids in the past that i've actually you know you feel like you want to apologize because man i have all this information now and if i'd only known this back then we could have really helped you but We've had kids in the past, or I've had a kids in the past that will throw, you know, four fastballs in their four different velocities that range six miles an hour. And it's like, what is exactly is he doing that causes that? And, you know, you can video all you want. And, and unless you have, you know, edutronic or, you know, high speed video, you, you can't really identify that with just your eyes. So, um, you know, there, there's value created in everything. Um, it just depends on what particular goal you're trying to reach with a player. Cool. Um, so, as a pitching guy, kind of kind of switching gears a little bit on you from the from the from, you know, from the technology side. Is there 
in your opinion, and this is just me wanting to know, because I'm, you know, I myself am a pitching guy, despite the fact that my career was more offensively based. In your opinion, most important pitch in a play, in a in a pitcher's repertoire, because obviously you're you're a college guy, so you you know all of your guys come to you with multiple pitches. Uh, I I'm, I'm asking this because I have a lot of guys that come, and you know I'm I'm big on the changeup. Um, you know I I grill my guys on it, and I often tell them. You know, if you want to work on your curveball, let's get the changeup down first. Or you want to work on your slider, let's get the changeup down first. You know, is, is is there something like that in your opinion that is more important, yeah, less important? I think first and foremost, and one thing that Rap Soto has only proven, and I think if, if some of these old school guys, I'm using air quotes as I talk to you, if some of these old school guys would, would understand the importance of this, this is something that they've known, but now we can quantify, and maybe if they were having trouble getting their point across, this is something that back that up. But fastball command and fastball efficiency, um, the ability to, to locate your fastball, you know, both sides of the plate, but also with the evolution of, launch angle uh, up and down in the zone and create levels with your fastball. I think first and foremost, that is the most important uh, fastball command because everything else plays off of that. Um, and, you know, you want to talk about effective velocity where, you know, really, if you're familiar with the term, if I'm throwing, and I'm just going to throw rough numbers out there, but if I throw a fastball at 90 down the middle, if I'm able to throw that pitch, you know, inner third or, or even better, you know, inner black of plate, um, the hitter has to react quicker. So that, that velocity is perceived as a little bit faster. So that 90 down the middle is, you know, 90 inside now looks like 94, 95. And then all of a sudden, if we go away with that same pitch, that fastball plays more like 86 because the hitter has a little more time to, to see what it is. And it's a little quicker to get the barrel to that. Um, so if you can locate your fastball, you've just thrown three different pitches effectively uh, just throwing one pitch and the ability to locate that pitch. So we, we emphasize fastball command. Um, I, I think that very few pitchers play at the level that they want to get to eventually uh, without having really good fastball command because everything else plays off of that. And if you can if you can tunnel, I would say the second pitch is a changeup because most of the high-level hitters that I've talked to have said that's the toughest pitch to be able to identify. So if we can create a pitch that, you know, arm speed and all things – you know, given uh, look like a fastball coming out of the hand, but we're able to take some some velocity off of it, then then I think you're absolutely 100% correct. I think that changeup's the next most important pitch, which is interesting because at our level, we have a lot of, you know, again, being from a rural area, we have a lot of kids that don't have much of a changeup because they've never had to throw one because really all you're doing is giving the hitter at that level a chance to hit. Uh, you know, you're, you're taking some off your fastball, so you're kind of playing into their swing. So that's probably, you know, one of the things that we work on the most is, is developing a changeup. Because everybody at some point gets to the point where they're going to start spinning the ball a little bit, trying to throw a cutter, slider, curveball, uh, some type of breaking ball. And, and kids like that because they get to see the ball move and it produces strikeouts. But, you know, the real value in my mind is, is one, fastball command, and two, like you said, the changeup. So. The warms. Warms my heart to hear you say it because uh, I we, we kind of deal with the same thing. You know, we have, you know, there's been a lot of kids that throw throw hard around here, and they've either gotten away with just pumping fastballs past people, or, you know, their fastball is good and their curveball, you know, is enough of a variant that it throws people off. And you know, and then you come and you see a little bit higher level, and 
you know, I had a guy who went to a, a local D1 school around this area, and he said as a freshman in the fall, he, you know, he was frustrating all of the upperclassmen because his changeup was good enough that, you know, it threw everybody off and it made everything else look better. And, you know, it's it's always nice to hear or maybe be vindicated a little bit. Um, but, you know, I... It's been one of the one of the greater struggles of, for me the last couple of years is you know getting guys to understand location and you know making your off speed pitches look more like your fastball because the more they look like your fastball and then aren't the more effective they're going to be. Well, and it, and it also you know kind of creates that doubt in the hitter's mind of of you know we all talk about upsetting timing because hitting timing and and if you have the ability to locate a second pitch then all of a sudden your fastball plays up so if you're a guy that's you know a run-of-the-mill 84 86 guy uh and but has a good change up that fastball is going to play up a little bit because they're going to have to wait just a tick longer to identify if it is a change up um so it allows your fastball to play up so it creates some confusion on the hitters side of it which which is something that we as pitching people love so They've got a metal bat and a helmet on, so how much easier can we make it on them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, and no, and that that that'll be a fun uh, a fun topic to kind of wrap up with. Have you seen? Now, obviously, you've seen some uh, as both a player and as a coach going from metal bats to wood bats. Do you see? Do you see a performance jump in pitching when you go from? Guys pitching against, you know, guys swinging metal, the, you know, the BB core now, or even the the ungodly loaded BESR bats back in the day versus going to, say, a guy swinging wood? I think, I think maybe uh, a few years back there was a difference, but I think with as many wood bats tournaments as, as travel teams play in, and you look at some of the upper class you know, national events that are wood bat. I think guys are, are getting a little more accustomed to swinging wood bats. And and with that also, they're also seeing some better pitching. Um, so I think some of that is, has been lost a little bit. But ultimately, if a guy can get the barrel to the ball, it doesn't matter if it's aluminum or wood, they're going to be able to hit. Um, I, I think where the aluminum at times can give a guy some, some again, you know, we were talking about pitchers, having confidence and what that means to a player. Um, I, I think sometimes when a guy swings a wooden bat, maybe is struggling a little bit. I think if you put aluminum in their hands, I think it's like, okay, I can hit again now. So you do see a little bit of that, but I think some of that's gone um, just because so many kids, you know, whether it be lessons or a tournament are swinging wood bat. So I think some of that's kind of disappeared to be honest with you. Definitely. Uh, definitely something to the, you know, wrap your brain around there. Cause I, I, I can tell you that, you know, back when I played with the BESR bats and I mean, the ones that I swung were nothing compared to the ones that were the last generation of them, maybe seven to 10 years later, or set probably five to seven years later. And there was always that huge jump of, you know, kid would pick up a wood bat and, you know, if he took five swings, he'd need five bats because the bat would break. Um, you know, the, the only difference I tend to see is, you know, that one that maybe would break a wood bat, you know that pitch off the end or in on in on the handle still has a shot when it's aluminum. Other than that, you know, I think you're right. I think there's not necessarily the massive jump that there used to be. So, you know, and that's yeah, I think that that that's another you know testament to technology with the the quality of bat in both metal and wood. I think absolutely. 
So we are uh, we are just past the forty five minute mark here, and uh, is there is there anything else you'd like to like to cover, or like to like to talk about? I know we talked a lot of technology and a lot of pitching stuff. No, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, I've looked forward to doing this for for a little while. I know we you know reached out on Twitter and and was excited at the opportunity to do it. I, I thank you for allowing me to come on and, and look forward to hopefully uh, we can cover another topic another day. Absolutely. Uh, anybody anybody want to give a shout out to any, you know, selfless promotion or, you know, any, uh, anybody you want to want to give a shout out to at all? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, my wife, uh, stepchildren, Kathleen, my wife and Cassie and Kirk, my two stepchildren that, uh, are running around and, and uh, hopefully we'll see them this evening and then uh my mom's listening in uh carthage uh she's been anxiously awaiting to hear this as well so hopefully i i did all them proud and uh look forward to uh like i said being back on again soon well it was a pleasure having you and uh you know i will we'll, we will definitely do this again because this was good i sure appreciate it thanks for your time yeah, no problem thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time the Tip of the Cap broadcast is brought to you by Stinger Sports Gear. If you're looking for high-quality sports gear that's not going to break the bank, go to StingerSportsGear.com. Stinger Sports. Look great. Feel great. Play great.